So we started a study in the book of Galatians. This is our third week. We are still in chapter 1. And this morning, we will be looking at um, verses 11 onward. And, uh, but before we do that, I'd like to look at a passage in Matthew chapter 21. And so it'll be up on the screens. And I'll just read it for you. Now when Jesus came into the temple... The chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. Where was it from? From heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. The religious leaders said in response to Jesus' question, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? And if John the Baptist was ordained by God, why did the religious leaders reject his message? Why did they not believe? uh, They were trapped. If Paul was ordained by God, and that's really what we're looking at here in uh, Galatians chapter 1, if Paul was ordained by God and his message was authenticated by God, then why did the false teachers reject his message? And why did the Galatians stop believing? And we must also answer the question ourselves this morning. If Paul is truly an apostle... And Paul's message is truly from God. Do you believe him? That's the question. Do you believe? And that's really the whole basis of what Paul is about to speak about here in Galatians chapter 1. The Galatians came to know the Lord as a result of Paul's ministry. As he went on his missionary journeys, he came into Galatia. He preached the gospel. The Galatians received the gospel and were saved. And... um, Some years later now, Paul has news that the Galatians have listened to false teachers who have come into their midst, and he's stunned by them so quickly turning away from the gospel that they had believed to a counterfeit gospel taught by the false teachers. Paul warned them, last week we looked at this, Paul warned them, even if an angel from God were to preach to you another gospel, Let him be anathema. And then he went on to say, look, if anyone comes to you and preaches to you a gospel that you did not believe, you did not receive from me, let him be accursed. Let him be counted as um, worthy of destruction. It is really some of the strongest language in the New Testament here in Galatians chapter 1. So the question before us today is this. What is the origin of Paul's gospel? Is it really from God, 
or did he make it up? So that's what we're going to look at as we go through uh, verse by verse here. So Galatians chapter 1, and the first item on your um, outline here is that Paul did not invent the gospel. I did not invent it. Paul says in verse 11, But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. So they accuse Paul of inventing the gospel that he preached. It wasn't his gospel. He made it up or he received it from some man. And Paul, actually, Paul's gospel is not news or is not a message that men would make up. Why? Because it excludes men. The good news that is preached is this, that man can do absolutely nothing to earn favor with God. What, what man is going to invent a, a religion like that and have followers? Man can do nothing to save himself. And it was God who did everything to save our souls. If you were to study today, if you go to, go to college and you say, I'll take a, a comparative religions course. And you were to study all the world religions. You would see that they all teach a religion of good works to merit salvation. Whether you study Buddhism, Islam, Hinduism, Sikhism, Judaism, whatever ism you want to throw in there, they are all a works-based religion, every one of them. Even so-called Christianity from Catholicism, again, you got the isms in there, because Catholicism is a works-based religion. Mormonism, JWs, Seventh-day Adventists, and all of the other cults have invented a religion of meritorious works for salvation. You must do something in order to earn salvation. That's the, those are all religions of the world, but that is not the religion, that is not the gospel message that Paul preached. This is false teaching. It's another gospel, and it leads people to hell. Following a religion or following a, a cult or following a, even a Christian religion that adds works to salvation leads a person to hell. It does not save a person. And it must be rejected. This is not the gospel that Paul preached. This gospel excludes man's works as the way of salvation. So clearly Paul's gospel was not invented by man because it excludes men. Second, he says, I did not learn it through oral tradition. Verse 12, first part of verse 12, for I neither received it from man. And so Paul is rejecting the accusation that he received the gospel from men. In other words, he was not preaching a message that he had learned through the tradition of his fathers or oral tradition. Paul, of course, was well-schooled in Judaism. He knew uh, uh, Judaism in and out. But the gospel he preached was actually the opposite of what Judaism taught. As a matter of fact, it was actually the false teachers who came into Galatia who were teaching this false gospel. They were teaching that it's, it's good to believe in Jesus, 
but you must also be circumcised. You must also obey the Ten Commandments, and so on and so forth. They were relying on Jewish traditions and laws, and they were trying to force the law of Moses upon these new believers. Third, Paul says, I did not go to a seminary or Bible school. Verse 12, middle of verse 12, it says, nor was I taught it. And so Paul rejects the accusation that he is somehow a byproduct of seminary or Bible school. He didn't go to the local seminary. He didn't earn a doctorate degree in theology. He didn't go to Biola. He didn't go to Masters. He didn't go to Emmaus or any other seminary for that matter. Nor did he learn, nor did he earn an online degree to validate the message that he preached. This was not where his gospel came from. Paul was not taught by men. Paul's case was totally unique. So number four, he says, I received it by divine revelation. So in verse, end of verse 12, it says, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. The source of Paul's gospel message had nothing to do with man. He was taught the gospel by divine revelation. What that really means is that the Lord Jesus Christ himself schooled Paul in the gospel. A direct revelation. Now you may remember a little bit about Paul's life when he was Saul of Tarsus. He was an enemy of the cross. But the Lord called him, the Lord saved him, and commissioned him to be an apostle. And since the gospel Paul preached is directly from the Lord Jesus Christ himself, it is the standard by which all other so-called gospels are measured or judged. In fact, it is the only standard because it is the only gospel, it is the truth. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul elaborates on what the gospel is. He says this, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. Where did he receive it from? From the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That Christ, this is the gospel, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to to the scriptures. This is the message you must believe in order to be saved. Plus nothing. That's it. That is the message right there in a nutshell. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and he rose again victorious from the grave three days later. That's the gospel. You believe that, you realize that he was dying for you in your place as you on the cross for your sins. And uh, that's the good news. But the moment you add something to it, or the moment you take something away from this message, you've ruined it. It is no longer good news. It is no longer a gospel message, and it can no longer save you. That's the point that Paul is making. Any addition, any subtraction from this message, it is worthless as far as salvation is concerned. So what, let's take a look at that. What if you take something away? From the gospel. Take away the fact that Christ died for our sins. Well, that's not good news, is it? Because 
then you will have to die for your own sins. So taking away something is not good here. Take away the fact that Christ rose the third day. Well, that's not good news either. Because as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says that if that's the case, Christ is still in the grave. He did not rise from the dead and neither will you. And so if you have believed a gospel that leaves Christ in the grave and you in the grave, what good is it? We then are of most all men to be most pitied if there is no resurrection. If we die in our sins, we never rise from the dead. There is no heaven for us. So when you take something away from the gospel, it leaves you hopeless. What if you add something to the gospel? Well, as we learned last week, the gospel teaches faith plus nothing. That's what brings a person to salvation. You have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone and you add nothing to it, that equals salvation. If anyone brings a gospel that adds works, that adds the law, that adds the Ten Commandments, or baptism, or keeping the Sabbath, or anything else, Paul said last week twice, let him be accursed. That's what we read in verses 8 and 9, and it's not good news at all. So adding anything to the gospel actually places us under the curse of God. The gospel is simple. The gospel is straightforward. And the gospel is easy enough for a child to understand. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day. And believing that, that's all we have to believe. And we are saved for all eternity. So now Paul elaborates on how He received this wonderful message. So he has this gospel. He's preaching this gospel. We learn that he received it uh, as a direct revelation from Jesus Christ himself. But Paul paints a picture for us, and he he does this um, looking at three time frames in his life. And uh, if you're a believer this morning, it's uh, interesting to note that you have three segments of time in your life that uh, you should be able to point to. There should be a, what we call a pre-conversion um, time of your life. It's a time of your life when you are sinning, you are away from God, you're separated from Him, you're on your way to hell, and uh, frankly, most people don't care. So that's pre-conversion. That was Paul, pre-conversion. Then there's a time in your life of conversion. You finally come to realize at a point of time in your life that I am a sinner, I, I, I deserve to be in hell, I'm lost, I need a Savior. Well, that's a good place to be. And the Lord steps in at that time in your life and He saves your soul. That's conversion. Then there's post-conversion. That is what happens after you have been converted. And you should live a life um, that's totally different from the life that you live because now you have the power of God living in you. The Lord Jesus Christ dwells in us. We'll look at that more in Galatians 2.20. Okay, so let's take a look at the three, the three time uh, frames in um, Paul's life, pre-conversion. Paul, who was named, of course, Saul at that time, was probably the most unlikely candidate for salvation. He really was the most unlikely candidate for salvation. Galatians chapter 1, 
verse 13. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. It is likely that the false teachers lied to the Galatians and told them that Paul's gospel is good as far as it goes, but it's not the whole story. Paul should have told you more. He should have told you something that will really help you to be saved. And they came in with this added story, which is, you must be circumcised. It's good that you believe in Jesus. We'll give you credit for that. But now you have to be circumcised. And that will make you more right with God. And of course, if you're circumcised, you also have to obey the Ten Commandments, which will make you even more right with God. And then if you follow the Ten Commandments, you have to follow all the hundreds of commandments there are in the Old Testament to make you even more right with God. And then you have to do all of that perfectly all the time. That's not good, that's not good news. Paul must have been ignorant of the law. He must have been ignorant of the Old Testament. He must have been ignorant of the Ten Commandments. He must have been ignorant of Judaism is kind of their approach. That's what they would say. So Paul answers this accusation by reminding the Galatians that, look, I am not ignorant of the Old Testament. And he looks at his pre-conversion days, that is his life before he was saved. He wasn't ignorant of Judaism at all. That was his life. He was all in. He was steeped in the religion of the Jews. He was a man who took his religion seriously. And we know from other accounts that he viewed Christianity as a threat to Judaism. And he wanted to derail it in its infancy. We read some of the details in the book of Acts. We read about persecution of the church. He actually had authority given to him, papers in hand, and he was on his way to go into houses that belonged to Christians and to disrupt and tear up families and really ask them point blankly, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? And if they answered yes, he would have them arrested. He would have them taken to uh, Jerusalem. He, would, he was uh, uh, for their death. There was murder in his heart. And he acknowledges that. He wanted to persecute them. He would try to get Christians to blaspheme the name of Jesus. He tried to get them to deny the Lord. He consented to their deaths. He admits this, that he tried to destroy the church and the gospel that the Christians believed. He was no friend to the gospel at all. So it really is a ridiculous accusation to suggest that Paul invented this gospel that he was so opposed to, to begin with. Before he was saved, he wanted nothing to do with it and did everything in his power to destroy it. He had been more zealous for the law, he said in uh, this passage. More zealous for the law, for Judaism, for law-keeping, than most of his contemporaries. Most of the guys that he grew up with, that he was you know, uh, involved with in Judaism, he wanted to surpass them all, to excel them all in law-keeping. There was no greater enemy of the gospel than Saul of Tarsus. To him, the Christian faith was diametrically opposed to Jewish tradition that he believed. 
And even in his unconverted days, Paul realized that you could not mix law and grace. They were diametrically opposed. So the reason Paul didn't include the law in the gospel was not because he was ignorant of what the law said. It was due to the fact that God had revealed to him that the gospel was a gospel of grace, not a gospel of law-keeping. Grace alone. You say, well, you take a man like the Apostle Paul, or who was Saul of Tarsus, and you take a man like that on his way, zealous to kill believers and to stop this madness of them believing this gospel, you take him and you see a total transformation of him, what happened? What kind of miracle is this? And so he, he talks about that um, in the next section on his conversion, his divine election and calling by grace. Verse 15, it says, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Well, Paul's conversion is really an amazing story of God's grace to an undeserving sinner. Can a murderer be saved? Well, yeah, he can. Can someone who is trying to destroy the church that Christ is building be saved? Well, yeah, he can. Can a person who, is, who considers himself to be the chief of sinners be saved? Well, yes, he can, because that's what Paul said of himself. I was the chief of sinners. That gives me hope. That gives me encouragement. Because if the chief of sinners can be saved, then anyone can be saved. There was no greater enemy to the gospel than Saul of Tarsus. To him, the Christian faith was, um, was just wrong. And so here is a man who is saved by God's grace. And his actual conversion shows that he was not saved on the basis of any meritorious works on his part at all. The day it happened, he was on his way to Damascus with papers in hand to arrest and persecute and take Christians to their death. And on his way, a light shone from heaven. Paul fell on his face and uh, he heard a voice out of heaven. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And the voice came back and said, I am Jesus, whom you persecute. Paul was converted on the spot right there on the road to Damascus. He believed that it was Jesus who was speaking to him. And in his faith alone in Jesus is what saved him. Jesus saved him by his grace through faith on Paul's part. Tell me, what good works can you find in that story? There are none. What personal merit could Paul claim to have when he had murder in his heart? Was anything in Paul's life and works appealing to God? Not at all. God did not find favor in Paul for that reason. So what is, the, and that's the point Paul is making in recounting his personal story. His own salvation had nothing, absolutely nothing to do with good works. So let's look at his conversion more carefully. How was Paul saved? Verse 15 says that God separated Paul to himself from his mother's 
womb. How old was he when he was separated from his mother's womb? Yeah, you, we would count it as zero. Yeah. Paul was actually set apart by God from birth. And if that's the case, then Paul, at zero, had no opportunity to do good works to please God, did he? God's favor came to Paul from birth. God had foreordained that Paul would be saved and God would make him an apostle and works had absolutely nothing to do with it. It does not mean that Paul was saved at birth. And it doesn't mean that we are saved before we are born. What it does mean is that Paul and all believers are chosen by God and set apart for salvation and service before our works are even possible. Meritorious works have nothing to do with our salvation. And you say, well, is that true for anybody else besides Saul of Tarsus? Yeah, it's absolutely true. We see from history that God separates individuals for himself even before they're born. It was true of Moses. It was true of Jacob. Romans 9.11 teaches this. It was true of the prophet Isaiah before he was born, before he was conceived even. And it was true of the prophet Jeremiah. John the Baptist was called before he was even conceived in Luke chapter 1. And it was true of Saul of Tarsus here in Galatians 1.15. And the point that Paul is making is that meritorious works have nothing to do with our salvation. God chooses, chose him and God chooses us before we are even born. In fact, the Bible teaches that God chose all believers before the foundation of the world. It wasn't just at birth we were chosen that somehow God looked at us and said, oh, I think he's going to make a pretty good Christian. It wasn't that at all. Or before birth. Or before conception. It was before history began. It was before the world was hung in place in the universe. It was before time began. For we read in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, just as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. If he chose us and he predestined us to adoption as sons before the foundation of the world, then it goes without saying that our works have absolutely nothing to do with our salvation at all. How could we have done meritorious works before the foundation of the world. It's impossible. Does this mean that we are saved before we are born? No. There still comes a point in every person's life where God gives us the personal choice to believe him or not. The message that we hear is the gospel. And the gospel tells us that we are sinners but it also tells us that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and was buried and rose again the third day. The gospel tells us that we can be declared righteous before God and have our sins forgiven by simply believing that message. And when we believe the gospel, we become children of God. That's when we become children of God. That's when we're saved. As many as receive him... 
To them he gave the right to become children of God. This is a free gift from God, not of works, the Bible tells us, lest anyone should boast. We are predestined to adoption as sons before the foundation of the world, but at some point in our life, we must believe the gospel to be saved. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. In Galatians 1.15, we read that God called me, Paul says, through his grace. This was Paul's calling. We read in the book of Acts that when Paul, um, at the time Paul was called, he was clearly a sinner. No question about it at all. In fact, Jesus said uh, to him, why do you kick against the goats? In other words, why are you rebelling against me? Uh, Why are you resisting God's plan? Why are you defying the plan of salvation? Why are you rejecting the gospel message that I am um, presenting? Why are you persecuting my church? Saul was an enemy combatant. And if he got what he deserved that day on the road to Damascus, he would have been in hell. If he got what he deserved, he would have been in hell. Yet to magnify the grace of God, that is exactly when the Lord Jesus Christ reached out to Paul and made him a child of God. And so we have such a contrast here. He's saying, look, if works were the way to salvation, Paul failed miserably. But it was the grace of God, undeserved favor, that reached out to Paul and saved his soul. And that is exactly what happens to us. It is not by our works, it is not by our effort, it is not by our goodness, for we have none. We are saved by the grace of God. And so if you want to see the grace of God in action, you have to look no further than the Apostle Paul. Paul's conversion shows how great God's grace is. Grace that is shown to the most undeserving of all sinners. Paul was not rewarded because he was such a good guy. Paul is underscoring the fact that salvation had nothing to do with anything he had done. So last week, we looked at um, salvation. On our part, we we don't add to his work, but we believe. That's faith. And it's faith plus nothing. Faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. This week, Paul is emphasizing the, the fact that salvation is by grace plus nothing. Grace alone. And so God demonstrates his grace towards us, undeserved favor, and we simply believe. And there's nothing added to that. Next, we want to look at Paul's life after his conversion. So Paul is continuing to show that he didn't make up the gospel. In fact, it was the opposite of his upbringing. The gospel came to him not through men, but directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. And now he speaks of his post-conversion experience, how he was taught by God. In this section, Paul goes through a checklist of answers to objections or uh, questions that his accusers had raised. So first, uh, Paul did not check out his gospel with others. The accusation is something like this. Well, Paul came up with this gospel after he consulted with men, and uh, that's where he, he came up with this. Paul answers this in verse 16. He says, I did not immediately... Confer, so after he was saved, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Paul, Paul is saying emphatically, I did not get the gospel from other men. It came directly 
from the Lord. Well, then Paul must have gone up to Jerusalem, and he, taught, he must have talked to the 12 apostles. That's the next one. Paul did not go to Jerusalem to be taught by the apostles. His answer is in verse 17a. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. It simply didn't happen. Paul, Paul's gospel did not come from them. It came directly from the Lord Jesus. Then Paul says that he went out to Arabia for three years. So the, the accusation would come something like this. Well, Paul was schooled somewhere. He went to seminary. He went to Bible school. That's where he got his gospel from. He's a byproduct of some kind of seminary teaching or some kind of Bible school. Well, I don't know if you know about history, but Arabia is, particularly back then, it's already, it still is a, a, a deserted wilderness for the most part, except for a couple of big cities. It's a desert. There were no Bible schools in Arabia. There were no seminaries there. But Paul says, I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And we learn elsewhere that that's really where the Lord Jesus schooled him for three years. Arabia was known for its sand dunes, not for its theological colleges. His only teacher was the Lord. Then in uh, verses 18 and 19, after three years, Paul became acquainted with Peter and James for 15 days. And so the accusation here is, well, Paul got his gospel from, the, from at least one or maybe more of the apostles. He had to have spent a lot of time with them uh, in order for him to be preaching. And Paul says, in a sense, really, look, I got it independently from them. Yes, I met with Peter for 15 days. And by the way, I also uh, saw James. The idea of, if you look at the Greek, the meaning of the Greek in this passage, it really means that Paul went to Jerusalem in order to become acquainted with these guys who were, who were apostles. He had heard of them he had, by reputation. He had known about them by reputation. But he had never met them face to face. And this was the first time they got acquainted. And so it was a visit. Paul answers this. After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him for 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. No training, no intensive training session is mentioned here. Then Paul, in uh, verse 20, affirms that his statements are true. You ever been to court? You ever have to be a witness in court? And you have to take a Bible. Usually they put a Bible out and you put your hand on the Bible and you raise your other hand and you say, uh, I swear that the evidence that I shall give shall be the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help me God. And you are placing yourself under oath and you're saying something uh, and everything that you say is considered sworn testimony at that point. That's what Paul is doing here, Galatians 1.20. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. I swear I am telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me, God. Paul's point in swearing under oath is to say everything I'm telling you is the truth. I'm not lying. My gospel did not come from men. It did not come from a school. It did not come from any other source other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Then 
verses 21 through 24, Paul never met face to face with the churches in Judea. So the accusation here is probably something like, well, you know, he ministered to churches in Judea and he sort of was influenced by them. That's where he got his gospel from. Um, and those Judean churches, of course, were planted by the 12 apostles. So he got his message secondhand or even thirdhand. That's how he got his message. And Paul saying, no, that's not what happened. Verse 21, afterward, I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God in me. So the, the accusation is false again. The churches did not know Paul except by reputation. Paul had not ministered in that region. In fact, the Lord had a completely different plan for the Apostle Paul. During this period of time, uh, after he met with uh, Peter and, and James, he went out and he ministered. And there are three long missionary journeys that took place of him going out and preaching the gospel that he was taught by the Lord Jesus Christ and seeing the Gentiles come to know the Lord. The reputation of Paul in those journeys came back to the churches in Judea and goes, wow, this guy is truly saved because he was trying to destroy us. Now he's preaching the very gospel that he was trying to snuff out. He is truly saved and, and they glorified God. The next time Paul had contact with the apostles would be 14 years Later, And so we have a three-year period on the backside of the desert, a 14-year period of him ministering on missionary journeys, and finally after 17 years, he finally comes to Jerusalem to meet face-to-face -face with the apostles, and the discussion of the gospel comes up at that time. We'll look at that more uh, in the coming weeks as we study through Galatians, but it's clear from his testimony that he did not receive the gospel from any other source other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what Paul says and what he teaches here should be enough to settle things for the Galatian church, or the churches in Galatia, that the gospel they first believed is correct and that any other gospel is no gospel at all. And what Paul teaches here should actually settle the matter for you too. Paul has taught us, even 2,000 years later, that the gospel is that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he was buried, and he rose again the third day, and that you can add absolutely nothing to your salvation. Simply believing in him by faith is enough for you to have your sins forgiven and be right in a right relationship with God. And so... As you grow as a believer, many people will come into your life and will try to disturb the peace that you have already found in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And so I want to reemphasize this again. Don't let anyone disturb your peace. For the gospel that came to you is the same gospel that, pre that Paul preached. You are saved not on the basis of your works of any kind. You are saved by God's grace alone. You are saved by faith alone 
you are saved by Jesus Christ alone. And if you are trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, I can, on the authority of the Word of God, tell you that you're saved. If you are trusting Him by faith alone, and you're not depending on any works that you are doing uh, to save you, then I can say on the authority of the Word of God that you are saved. If you are trusting in God's grace alone and not any personal goodness or personal effort, then I can tell you again on the authority of the Word of God that you are saved. This is the message that you heard. This is the message you believed. This is the message we preach. And this is the message that saves. Now is the time for you to go out and share it with others who have yet yet not heard or not yet heard This is the message that's saved. We started the sermon with a question from Matthew 21, 25. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? We could apply the words of that verse to the Apostle Paul. We could ask a similar question of the Galatians today and of ourselves today. The Gospel of Paul, where was it from? From heaven or from men? If you say from heaven, then I must ask you today, why have you not believed? And if you have believed... You've got to reject every other gospel out there. You've got to reject any works, any meritorious works for salvation. Why then do you not believe him? It's the gospel that saves. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you today, we thank you so much for a gospel that is so simple, so easy to believe, We just cry out to you, Lord, for those who have been trusting in their own works for salvation, for those who believe that somehow they need to uh, become good enough in order to be accepted by God. Lord, have them put this out of their mind and simply, like a child, believe what you have taught us in your word, that you have saved us by your grace through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection for us. We just pray, Lord, that each person here might really seek out uh, in their own heart what they believe and where they stand with you, and that they might this morning believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.